0: Acts chapter three, verse one, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Just to give you context, Peter and John are Jews. And I know we think of them as Christians, but you do understand there were not Christians for the first 15 years of Christianity. The Christians were all Jews. They would go up to the temple to pray with other Jews. Some of which were not what you might say saved yet, meaning they had not been. The word Jesus means it's Yeshua, Yah, Yahweh, Shua saves. They hadn't been yahshua would yet, if you want to use that as a verb, or as an adjective, right, or as an adverb, whatever you want to say it. <laughs> that hadn't yet happened to them, and yet they were praying with them. To which you might say, "Well, how could they go pray? How could they go to church with people that don't yet know Jesus?" The same way that you go to church with people that don't yet know Jesus and you have all your life, probably, right? They went up to the temple and it says in verse 2 that there was a man that was lame from birth that had been carried to the temple called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those that were going into the temple courts. Quite a contrast here. He's at a gate called Beautiful. Josephus tells us there's about 10 gates around Jerusalem. The most uh, ornate of them was the gate Beautiful. Nine out of the 10 gates were covered with silver and gold. This one is the beautiful one because silver and gold were not enough. There was also this this copper bronze. It was absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, which made the contrast all the more striking that a man whose life is anything but beautiful was sitting in front of a beautiful gate, begging for people going in to worship a God who supposedly is good while he's been crippled all of his life. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to go in, he asked them for money which is a very smart thing to do. If you're crippled, that's what you need. It's a good pragmatic solution. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk i want to talk about the authority of the name of jesus let's pray god help in the name of jesus amen go ahead and have a seat what what does it mean to use the name of jesus what does it mean to pray in the name of jesus because if you've been around christians for a little while you've probably heard this little habit that we have of praying in the name of Jesus. I'm actually gonna make the case I, I'm not sure we should always pray in the name of Jesus, at least using those syllables. I've heard people ask, hey, does my prayer count if I don't say the words in the name of Jesus? Or if I say the words in the name of Jesus, does that put some extra power to it? It's an interesting question because the New Testament mentions multiple prayers. The Apostle Paul recorded prayers uh, interestingly, none of the prayers that you see mentioned in the New Testament include in the name of Jesus after them, which kind of begs the question, well, then how would those prayers get answered if you do not say in the name of Jesus? But I think the better question is what does it mean to do something or to say something or to pray something in the name of Jesus? What is it that Peter was saying when he said, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you, I give you the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he says, rise up, and walk. What, what, was, what was that? Like, What is this name of Jesus? Well, to do something in someone's name, it's, it's like to do something in, on behalf of. So if you've ever traveled to another country, they have ambassadors. Ambassadors will come in the name of a king or in the name of a queen or in the name of a government or in the name of, of a nation. So if you go in the name of Jesus, what you're actually doing is, just like if you went in the name of the president or in the name of the United States, you are coming in the authority of that place, in the nature of that place, in the character of that place, which is why when I was recently on Twitter and I saw someone shaming somebody and then at the end of it they said, in the name of Jesus, I remember thinking to myself, that is not the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus does not shame people. The name of Jesus does not bully people. The name of Jesus does not remove dignity from people. And yet we see a lot of things being done with the syllables. Now, to be clear, it's not the name, but the syllable of Jesus. And yet, I would argue you can say in the name of Jesus, and you're not in the name of Jesus. Did you hear what I said? In the name of Jesus. <laughs> because to do something in Jesus' name is to do it in his character, with his purposes, with his power, with his love, with his authority. And that is where we find ourselves right now because we right now find ourselves in a world that is desperately in need of something more than we're seeing happen. I was in this board meeting this week, we were on a Zoom call with a missionary from Ukraine. The feed got interrupted by bombs dropping and so the feed got cut, he had to go into a bunker. And when he was describing the situation, he says, listen, we've done everything we can do naturally. We need God. Who's ever needed God? I mean, you know what I'm saying, the difference, you know, like if you're hungry today, you got a hunger pain, you know the youth has got food going after. You could go get some food, right? You've got a pragmatic solution to your food problem. If, if you're tired, there's a pragmatic solution. You can go and, and you could get some sleep. If If you don't have a good grade, there's a pragmatic solution. You can study a little harder. There's pragmatic solutions. The problem I'm seeing right now is that there are a truckload of issues and problems on earth, and we are throwing pragmatic solutions at things that only can be solved by divine intervention. We're in this series called The Great Awakening because we're making the claim that there are some things that require nothing less than a great awakening. And maybe right now in in Ukraine, for example, anyone that's there, they would tell you, we need God. Or maybe there's some of you that are like, hey Mike, my marriage is in shambles. I need God, my kids have gone astray. I need God, pragmatic solutions aren't working. I need God, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my job. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with my family. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do about this cancer report. Whatever that situation might be, what I know is sometimes we need more than pragmatic ways to manage our problems we need divine ways to solve our problems. Here's the whole sermon today. There are problems on earth that can only be solved with the authority of heaven, and that comes in Jesus' name. There are problems on earth that can only be solved by the authority of heaven, and that comes in Jesus' name. That's why I love the scene where we have Peter really picking up from chapter two where, in, Acts chapter 2, we read that, that many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Really, Acts 1 and 2 serve as a, an overview of the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 is where we're really getting into the illustration of what God was doing. And, and we find this case, of course, where Peter and John find themselves getting ready to walk into the same temple where they had been many times before. And it says in verse 4, Peter looked straight at This man. I want you to notice it's Peter and John. They're walking in, they're going two by two because the book of Acts is an extension of what was already happening, of what Jesus began both to do and teach in the Gospels. In the Gospels, he sent people out two by two. In the book of Acts, they go out two by two. I would argue that the book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospels, and we are supposed to live out a continuation of the book of Acts. Look at someone next to you and say, Do the book of Acts. One way that happens is I'm telling you, there's something about when you're with somebody. You, you are, we are better together than we are alone. And Peter and John are on their way to seek the Lord, going into this temple, a temple and a gate that they had passed many times. Every scholar I've read has said that probably Peter and John had walked past this beggar many, many times in their life, which begs the question, what is different this time about Peter? What is different this time about John than the last time they went through these gates? And the answer is Acts chapter two happened. The Holy Spirit happened. The spirit of the living God came upon them. They're on their way to go seek the Lord. What I'm trying to tell you is something happens when you connect to God and and when when you start to look at people, through the lenses that God is looking at them with, the, with what God does inside of your heart by his spirit. You start to, the same beggar you saw, you've passed him a hundred times before, but today it's different. The same gate that you've walked through a hundred times before, but today it's different. You are different when the spirit of God is moving inside of you. Amen. You are different when you are moving in community and when you are with some of God's people. And it says, he looked straight at the man. Now friends, I love this. I love this. He looked at, would you look at someone near you? Just look at them for a moment. Just look at them in the eyes. If you're married, say ooh la la. <laughs> at the end of World War II, the allies established what we'd call the World Bank to, to rebuild Europe. There was a lot of destruction in Europe because of war. Obviously, World War II was devastating, and, and the, the World Bank was established to address the starvation and poverty and sickness and uh, j- just waste everywhere. And they went in and they, they gave loans and they gave relief, and it was a wildly successful effort at rebuilding Europe. Very, very successful. They tried a similar approach in other nations, in low-income nations, and yet they found that it did not work. It was really confusing for the World Bank because the same tactics that you would think worked in Poland and worked in Germany and worked, it did the same tactics that you work in certain countries, they thought you could translate that to other countries, and yet they consistently found themselves seeing futility, and they did not see things go well. This confused them for quite, a time, quite some time until finally they decided to interview the poor themselves. They decided instead of just studying poverty in a general way, let's go ask the poor themselves what they have to say about this. And what they discovered was surprising because when the poor described being poor, they did not describe being poor like people that have means describe being poor. Because when people that came from developed countries described poverty, they thought of it in terms of Lack of resources and lack of money and lack of silver and lack of gold and lack of housing and lack of medical care. And yet when you talk to the poor themselves, what they described was lack of dignity and lack of honor. They described what it was like to go home after trying to work all day or beg all day and have to look your little child in the eyes and you do not have food to feed your little child. They described what it was like to look at a, a spouse and not have what it's going to take to be able to do anything to bring your, the sickness of your family into a hospital because you don't, you, you've, got, you've got no means to get there. They, they would describe what it was like to be out begging and the fact that when you're begging, no one ever looks you in the eyes because you're subhuman. It's what I love about this story because Peter's about to do a miracle, as many of you may know. I'm going to spoil the whole story. Peter's going to heal the guy. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and spoil it in case anyone's sitting on the edge of their seat, you don't know how to read and you didn't read ahead, and you're brand new to Christianity. Peter's about to do a miracle with a guy that's probably 35 years old, and he's been crippled since birth, and he's going to go and do a miracle. What I love is before he brings the power, he shows the love. It says he looked at him. He looked at him in verse 4. It says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. I love when the Holy Spirit gets inside of them when they see the same guy they've seen a hundred, because what do most people do when they see the homeless beggar? Well, let's, I know you wouldn't. What do all the other people besides you do? They look the other way. Because it's so like, oh like oh no, don't make, if you've ever been to New York City, one of the first things they tell you is, don't look anybody in the eyes. There's homeless people begging for money and there's people trying to sell you comedy club tickets that aren't real and someone just, you just don't, don't look them in the eyes. Just walk, and yet it says Peter looked straight at him. And then Peter said, look at us. In other words, the man's out begging, but he's not even looking at them because the man knows the rules of the social engagement. The rules are, you're up there, I'm down here. The rules are, you've got privilege, I don't. The rules are, you're a somebody, I'm a nobody. The rules are, just leave me down here, give me some money to appease your conscience. And there's a lot of us that we have settled for appeasing our consciences by throwing pragmatic solutions at people and at a world when what God wants us to do is to, by the power of his Spirit, come down and bring this solutions of heaven on the earth listen friends there are some of you today this service this week in your home this very week where some of you are supposed to use the authority of jesus to stop just throwing pragmatic solutions at impossible problems Listen, I believe in pragmatism. This week I was I was up at this board meeting, and uh, I was going to be in the city for a few days. And they did not have. It's easy just to kind of go back and forth. I wanted I'd never really checked out the city. I wanted to check out the city. I also needed a ride to and from my meetings, and there were no rental cars available. They had overbooked all the rental cars; none were available. So put the picture up there. So this is what I did. There was no rental car available, so I got a shuttle back to my. True story. I got a shuttle back to my hotel. I walked about a mile to the U Haul, okay? I walked a mile to U Haul and I rented that bad boy for $19.99. The rental cars were 130 bucks, That was $19.99 a day. I, I didn't have to like pick up, you know, women or anything. So, I mean, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm not, it's not my most swag wheels I've ever had, you know, but I'm literally driving into, you know, Whataburger and they're like, whoa. You you are are you moving? No. Are you storing things? No. What are you doing? I just want a burger. Can I get a burger? You know. You must want a lot of burgers. So just give me the burger, please. Right. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is, the U-Haul turns out to be a very good pragmatic solution. Some of you are like, yeah, but you got to pay for miles. Yeah, with miles, it was still 40 bucks as opposed to 130. Right. All right? au a U-Haul is a pragmatic solution to a challenging problem. By the end of my trip, though, there was a snowstorm that was coming through. I wanted to get back to Gainesville because it was my wife's birthday. My kids are having birthday parties. I wanted to be back with my family. And the problem is one flight got delayed, a second flight got canceled, a third flight got canceled, and I got stuck in Missouri, unable to get back. I could rent all the U-Hauls. I could come up with all the pragmatic solutions. The reality was my situation had become impossible. There is a difference, and I don't, listen, I'm not making the claim I know we need God for our every breath, I get all of that. What I'm saying is there really is a place for common sense, practical, pragmatic solutions. What I need you to see from the book of Acts is that if you belong to Jesus, we both give God thanks and glory for pragmatic solutions and good things like health care and doctors and nurses and, and, and physical therapy and, 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 and good eating and, and rest and all the good pragmatic realities of life. Thank God. Give God the glory for all of that. But when you are up against impossible solutions, I need you to know that if you belong to Jesus, you have access to a kingdom that can overwhelm earth and do the impossible. There are some things, there are problems on earth that can only be solved with the authority of heaven, and that comes in Jesus' name. So Peter looks at him, and I want you to see, he looks at him, and he loves him. He's giving him his dignity back. He's, he's, He's like, you are a person. The dignity of God is inside of you, and I want to say to you, there's some of you in this room that you've made mistakes. Maybe you've been places you shouldn't be and done things you shouldn't do, and maybe you feel subhuman. And I'm here to tell you today, I want to I wish I could look every one of you in the eyes and tell you, you possess the image of God, and you possess dignity because you were made by God Himself. Who who are you supposed to look in the eyes this week? I love when the, the beggar the leper beggar comes up to Jesus and he runs to Jesus and he bows down and he was unclean. Everyone always said unclean and he bows down to Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible says, Jesus touched him and then said, I'm willing. We serve a savior who touches the people no one else touches. And he looks in the eyes of the people that no one else looks in their eyes. Church, the authority of Jesus means many things. I'll tell you part of what it means. The authority of Jesus does not demean people. It redeems people. It, it puts dignity, it affirms the dignity that God has placed inside of people. And then he goes to him in verse six and he says, in silver and gold, I don't have. I, I, know you're for, I know you're asking for a good pragmatic solution. You want a handout? That's not a bad thing, it makes sense. Very pragmatic. I do not have that, but what I have, I give you. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now there's so many things I can say about this because when healing happened in the Bible, I want you to notice that sometimes people pray, they ask. This is not an ask. This is a declaration sometimes you need to ask. Whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it in you and it will be yours. But that same place where Jesus says that, he says, if you've got faith, you can say to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, and it's gonna happen. So in other words, sometimes we pray and we ask, God, will you please do X, Y, Z. Sometimes we declare with the name of Jesus and we say, I want you to understand, friends, if you belong to Jesus, You have authority. Tiene autoridad en Jesus. Amen. You've got authority if you belong to Jesus. I was with missionaries all week. There was a missionary that that talked about the authority that that people have. I was actually reading this missionary that was talking about authority that people have, and there was like a new age kind of religionist person that was able. They had this ability. They could recognize and see the authority that people had. They could sort of recognize the amount of like, spiritual power that people had, that there's a, such a thing to spiritual power and authority. They said, but there was one group of people you could see a mile off because they have more authority or power than anyone, and those are Christians. You could see it a mile off. It's like, man, you, you could see the power and the authority that these people have. But they weren't really worried about the Christians because almost all Christians fail to ever use the authority that they have. It's like the cop that was at the school in South Florida when the shootings took place. The tragedy was not simply that there was a a shooter on site. The tragedy was that there was someone that was with the enforcement, the law enforcement, someone that had both a badge and a gun that did not use their badge and did not use their gun to protect the people that needed it. The tragedy of our day is not that there is not authority on the earth. It's that those that have been delegated authority do not know that they have it. Perhaps Satan's greatest assignment against us is much like Pharaoh with the Israelites that were in Egypt when he was concerned. Wait a minute, they've multiplied too greatly. They've got too much power. He did not want them to know how powerful they were because they could have simply overtaken him. Instead, he enslaved them. And there's always been this assignment of the enemy to enslave the children of God so they do not know who they are. Because if they ever knew who they were, they would use the authority that they have. Because when you belong to Jesus, there's an authority that you have that if you pull out that badge, if you pull out that spiritual gun, if you pull that out and say, wait a minute, I'm going to use my authority. I'll tell you what's going to happen. The sick are going to get healed. The dead are going to get raised. The lame are going to walk. Lives are going to be changed. Families are going to get put back together. Lives get put back together. And destinies come true. See, there are problems on earth that will only be solved with the authority of heaven, and that comes in Jesus's name. That comes in the name of Jesus. See, if you are a child of God, I want you to understand that you're a child of the king. There are special rights and privileges that you have, just like someone that's got an American passport. That passport alone opens doors. That passport alone enables trips that never, you can go places you never would have gone with that passport if you use it. But you've gotta use your authority. You've gotta use the authority. This is why I love this story because Peter and John, they're going up and they're going to seek the Lord and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and now they're using and it says, they say silver and gold I don't have but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus walk. Taking him by the right hand, verse 7, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want you to see, Peter says, I don't have silver, and I don't have gold, and I can't do physical therapy on you, hasn't been invented yet, and I'm not a medical doctor, okay? I haven't gone to medical school, but I've got this. I've got Jesus. And here's the principle, friends. Whatever you have, you need to give it. When you've got something, whatever it is that you've got, when you, whatever is going on on the inside of us, that's what we have to give. The question is, what's going on on the inside of you? Because when you get Jesus, you get given authority. But then wait, so why don't more people use that authority? Because when the Spirit of God comes upon you, now you begin to activate the authority that you have. When the Spirit of God, and you're in community, and you're seeking God, now, see, Jesus is already in there. The passport's already there. The authority is already there but when you come into those places, God wants us to use that authority. Let me make it clear. Peter has walked by this gate a 100 times. This time it's different. This time it's God. This time there's a divine appointment. There are some of you that have walked by that same coworker many, many, many times, and Tuesday morning, God has an appointment with you and them. There are some of you that have looked at situations that have looked impossible many, many times. I don't know why God didn't do it until now. I know this. when you are walking with him and you're walking with God's people and you are on the lookout for what he's doing, what I'm telling you is there will be some of these times you're going to see your coworker and you'll say, hey, hey, Beverly, look at me. No, no, look at, and you look at her, look at me. You know how it is. Everyone just wants to, no, no, look at me. I think Peter was even trying to figure out what God was doing in that moment. I bet he was even praying in that moment, praying something, Holy Spirit, help me right now. What do you want me to do right now? God, what is it that you're up to in this moment right now? The man looks at him, and that's when Peter says, you know what, I'm going for it. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Mike, what do you want me to do with this? I want you to be on the lookout for what God is doing, and then to use the authority of the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It, it means like, I was reading about a father this week that they, they were having trouble in their house. The kids were just, just all sorts of, of stress and, and, and anxiety and restlessness, and, and the father finally just went ahead and he made this declaration. And by the way, I'm letting you know, the spirit world hears our declarations. Okay, they don't hear your thoughts. Satan cannot read your mind. I don't, like I don't fight the devil like this. What he did was, he said this. This is true. He said, Satan, I have authority over my house, and I assert the authority of Jesus Christ, and if you want to touch my wife or my children, you're coming through me, and I stand in the power of Jesus Christ. He said it was like night and day, where things began to change with his children in their home. Something, there was another guy that he, just, he, he was upset because his children had real no desire for like things of the Lord. He'd say, hey, family, let's pray together. Let's read the Bible together. And the kids were always like, oh. And he finally said, you know what? He did something similar. I assert the authority of Jesus Christ. I have authority over this home. And if you want to go to my kids, you're going to have to go through me. And I stand up in the name of Jesus. Okay, I'm just gonna let you guys know, if you belong to Jesus, you've got authority, but you need to use it. You need to use it, okay? You see someone sick, and you, and you don't know what to do, here's what I, someone, so we're gonna pray for people here before we're done, someone comes up, if you're one of the people at the altar and you're praying for someone, and, and they come up, they're like, oh, I just got a cancer report, and you are like, I don't know what to pray. Well, here's what I would do, I would go ahead, I would look it in the eyes, I would say, look at me, I'd give them dignity, look me in the eyes, tell me what's going on. I'm gonna look at them because the Bible says that the eyes are the window of the soul. You get to get a little idea of what's going on. I would pray something with my eyes open like this. God, what are you doing right now? Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us. We wanna do this in your name. In the name of Jesus is in syllables, in the name of Jesus is authority. That's what it is. You've been delegated authority. Now I get, we don't always know what to do. If there's a shooter, if there's a live shooter at a school and there's a cop that's there, I get it. We we all can understand why a cop would run away and hide. What I'm telling you is, even when you don't know exactly what to do, pull out the badge and show up. That's why I don't like it when someone, if I need prayer for healing and someone's like, well, I, I don't know what to pray. Well, you don't have to pray. Pull out your badge and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I declare healing over your body let there be light. Let there be healing. Let there be wholeness. All I'm trying to say is when you don't know what else to do, in the name of Jesus means you're trying to fill Jesus's shoes. Whatever Jesus did, that's what you do. However Jesus did it, that's how you do it. However Jesus talked, that's what you say and that's what you talk. And Jesus said things like, be cleansed. Peter said things like, In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And it's very appropriate to say, In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. You could say, Well, can you do that? Jesus did it, and he said, If you believe in me, the same works that I do, you will do. Well, do we sometimes ask? Yeah, we totally do. We had, we had, between the first and second service, we have elders that are in that room. We anointed some people with oil that needed some further prayer. We, we believe in having other people pray on our behalf. In the Bible, some people got healed because they believed for themselves. In fact, we find that down here in verse 16 when, when Peter says, uh, By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through his name that has completely healed him, as you can see. So it takes faith in the name of Jesus to work, which begs the question, well, who had faith in Jesus' name in this story? And I would argue it wasn't the beggar, because the beggar wasn't even looking at him. The beggar expected to get money, and the beggar instead got healed. So whose faith healed the beggar? And the answer is Peter's. I personally am not in favor of shaming, suffering, hurting sick people and saying, well, if you had more faith, you'd get healed. No, let's go ahead and stop saying anything like that. When people are suffering, I say we have compassion on the suffering. Occasionally there are suffering people, like a woman with an issue of blood that was so desperate, she reached out and grabbed Jesus' hem of his garment, and it was her faith that healed her. Sometimes suffering people have faith to get healed. I'll tell you what often happens, though. It's the faith of the person praying. So if someone comes up to you and says, ah, I got no faith, will you pray for me? I'd be like, well, guess what? I've got faith. And I've got faith in the name of Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, you have a badge and you've got a gun, now use it. Because there's a live shooter on the scene which is right now afflicting one of God's people, tormenting one of God's children that's loaded with dignity. They have maybe forgotten that, but when you, if you that are not suffering, go ahead and rise up and use the authority that you have. If you belong to Jesus, what I'm saying is you have authority. I'm going to say it again. If you belong to Jesus, you have authority. Pull out the passport. Pull out the badge. Open your mouth. Release his name. Make the declaration. Look them in the eyes. Wait for God's spirit. And then do what Jesus does. See, there's some problems on earth that can only be solved with the authority of heaven. And that comes in Jesus' name. I'm not against the government feeding people. I'm not, a, I'm not against the nations of the earth doing good works that are very practical and pragmatic. What I'm telling you is there are some problems on this earth that there is not a nation or a government that can solve. The only one that can solve it is Jesus, and he is inside of us. Be on the lookout for an opportunity and then use the name of Jesus. By the way, let me, let me just tell you how this plays out. I ble- we just did a baby dedication in this service. There is power in dedicating things in the name of Jesus. When you dedicate your child in the name of Jesus, we're like, oh, that's not a big deal. I can tell you about people that have been demonically oppressed because their families dedicated them to evil things. How much more powerful is it when we dedicate our children to God? If you've not yet dedicated your children to Jesus, oh, do it. Do it. Dedicate your house to the Lord. Dedicate your day to the Lord. Dedicate your food to the Lord. Dedicate your your job to the Lord. If you're a teacher, dedicate your classroom to the Lord. If you're a teacher, go to school tomorrow and say, in the name of Jesus, I may not have authority over all of America. I've got authority. If you're a teacher, I believe you have authority over your classroom. And when you show up, pull out your spiritual badge and say, you know what, walk around that classroom. In the name of Jesus, I assert the authority of the Lord. There will be no bullying in this room, but any spirit of bullying will be silenced in this place in the name of Jesus. There will be no violence. There will be no death. There will be peace and joy in this room. Teachers, you've got authority, so use it. Moms, you've got authority, so use it. Wives, you've got authority over husbands. Husbands, you've got authority over your wives. Families, you've got authority over your property. Pray the blessing of God over your dorm, college students, over your apartment, singles, over your your home, wherever you live. I believe there's something about giving your property to the Lord. On, on Wednesday, we're going to have our annual vision meeting. And by the way, any of you guys are welcome to come. I'll, be, I'll bring a word of, of somewhat direction for the church and things like that. But something on, on Wednesday I'm going to ask everyone to do is we're going to go pray around this property. We're literally going to spread all out. Just We're going to march around. I mean, I've, I'll mean, i tell you on Wednesday, so forget that I said it. But I'm going to ask people to go and, and to pray if you're physically able to help us dedicate afresh our church, our lives to God. There's something about that. parents. There's something about you saying to your child, look me in the eyes, and you look at them, and you say, my son, I bless you in the name of Jesus. My daughter, I bless you in the name of Jesus, And, and, and we, you, the, in the authority of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, in the kingdom of, it's not syllables, it's a kingdom. It's not just, it's not just a couple syllables, it's, it's authority that we have in Jesus' name. Well, verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, why is he holding on? Anyone know why he's holding on to Peter and John in verse 11? He just learned to walk. He just got healed. If you've never walked, you might need some help. I love that the Bible's realistic. People get healed. You know, someone's tongue gets healed. They might have been watching a bunch of bad stuff. The first thing they say might be a cuss word. An evangelist I know was preaching out in Phoenix and out in the streets, and there was a bunch of people that had been addicted to drugs and involved in gangs, and, and at the end of it all, he's like, man, they, they'd been afflicted. He said, oh, we, we've been afflicted by the devil. He said, I'll tell the devil off. He led them in a sinner's prayer, and they asked for forgiveness and repented. He said, now tell the devil off. And they started cussing. And, devil, f!" And they're like, is that okay? He's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> this time. It's realistic. The man just got healed. He's holding on to Peter and John. All the people are astonished. They came running into Solomon's colonnade, which was a place where people would speak. When Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness this man could walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. This is not classic how to win friends and influence people. You killed the author of life But God raised him up and from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man has been made strong. Verse 17. Now, Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I want you to see that the name of Jesus, it's full of love and it's full of power, but it's also full of truth. When you come in the name of Jesus, you've gotta tell people the whole truth. We can't hold back, And and I realize, like this is not popular right now. We live in a culture right now, like whenever someone dies, in the culture we live right now, everyone goes to heaven. That's what everyone sort of thinks. It's kind of, oh, someone dies, you know, and they're like, oh, well, we know they're in a better place. Wait, how do you know someone's in a better place? Well, we know because, because what? Like in our minds, heaven is this place we go where we get to go do whatever we want when we die, and yet the Bible says God actually has so loaded you and me with dignity that he's loaded you and me with a choice, and heaven is the place. Heaven is not a place nearly as much as it is God's presence. Heaven is the reality where the people that want the presence of God will be with God forever. Hell is the place where people want their own way. They will get their own way forever. But God gives us a choice. And there's a grave error that has been found where people have held off on the truth. And I, and I think we, I think at least the American culture is hot on the idea of a, of a Jesus in Jesus' name that's full of love. And we probably even like the idea of Jesus' name that's full of, of power. But I don't know that we like the part of this that comes with truth. In the name of Jesus, there's, there's an offense to the name of Jesus because Peter is going to tell them. You have to repent. And church, I need to say it clearly. If you're going to be right with God, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to change your mind to turn. He says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he'll send them aside. Verse 21, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. Verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. For me to come in the name of Jesus means I'm going to come lovingly and compassionately and affirming people's dignity and looking them in the eyes. And no matter what, with no strings attached, I love them. But friends, you are not loving someone if you do not tell them the whole truth. And here is the whole truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. There is no other way. There is no other name, and we're going to find in this, in this book, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved except by the name of Jesus. Now, I want to be careful here because some Christians use the name of Jesus too much. There are some Christians that you look at them you're like, oh, that's a nice jacket. You have them, like, yeah, was, Jesus told me to buy this. You're like, oh, Jesus shops at TJ Maxx. Okay. Someone's like, oh, you... You look nice today. Well, yes, Jesus helped me get ready. To. Listen, sometimes it's okay just to say thank you. Someone sneezes. You, know, you don't have to say, praise God by Jesus stripes you are healed. In Jesus' name I now pronounce you healed. You could just say, God bless you. You could just say, do you have COVID? You could say something else, right? <laughs> There's other things that you could say. Some people, that I feel like they use the name of Jesus. I, I, when I say too much, I mean almost in vain. Like I, I mean almost like... Is this really in the name of Jesus, or are you just saying the name Jesus? But there's some of us that are not using the name of Jesus enough. Because God's putting you in spots where you've got a shot, and you're supposed to drop the name. And you, and you know his name is going to give you disfavor. And you na- know his name could be offensive. And you know his name could get you in some trouble. There's something. Uh, it's like I was reading the, the story from the, in the Middle East. One of these women, she was a, a Christian woman kind of a woman of means with some other women of means. Uh, Most of her friends were Muslim and she was Christian. And they would go out because all of them believed in helping the poor. And they were making rice to feed poor people in their village. And they had made rice for like 30 people. And they were gonna get ready to go feed the people and so they had made all this rice and then all of a sudden they noticed and it was something like 150 people showed up. And so they knew they had a real problem because this was gonna go down. She asked, may I pray? So the woman prays and when she gets the end of her prayer, and this is where I do wanna say, it's not useless to use these syllables when it's done, when the syllables are in his name. And she prayed, God, I ask your blessing on this rice in the name of Jesus. And they started to clean up. And there, some other part of the team went out to go feed and they kept bringing things back to, to clean as they were doing this. They would kinda of bring it back to get some more stuff or whatever, and what they found was, as they were doing this, they had no explanation because They fed 20 and then 30 and then 40 and then 50 and the rice never ran out. And they asked them, wait, how did this happen? And the only explanation any of the women had was, this is the rice that was prayed for in the name of Jesus. To which then brought all the questions to the woman, what meaneth this? What does this mean? Church, this week, I want you to go out to your beautiful gates and when you see... Some beautiful people that no one's looked in the eyes. I want you to look them in the eyes. And I want you to get full of God. And I want you to look for opportunities. And I want you to wait on God. When you don't know what to pray, you ask God, Lord, what are you doing right now? When you don't know what to say, you say, Holy Spirit, help me right now. And whatever's inside of you, that's what's eventually going to come out of you. And and community has a good way of doing it. The Spirit has a good way of doing it. But this week, when you go at your job, at your house, I want you to look for the opportunity and use the name of Jesus, especially the next time you see a situation that you know is impossible. Mike, we're getting a divorce. Mike, I got a cancer report. Mike, my my, my child has gone astray. It feels impossible. When you find the impossible problems, I want you to apply the Jesus name. Solution. This very week, this very week, dads, use your authority. Moms, use your authority. Singles, use your authority. And if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, today's your day to repent. Use your authority that He's given you. You've got a tongue, He's given you a tongue to be able to confess Jesus as Lord. He's given you a heart that's able to believe that God raised him from the dead and something happens when you do it.